So there. So there. So there. So there. Let me know your thoughts. So there. So there. So there. Let me know your thoughts. Why do you keep saying let us know your thoughts? Let me know your thoughts to me is a nice lead-in for So There. So There. Welcome to episode 41 of So There. I'm Gary Doyle. I know you're waiting for and Tom Karamitis, but no, I'm Gary Doyle because if you've listened to us, if you've listened to the last episode, you would know uh, that the latest two episodes of So There are going to be a bit of a an experiment. Uh, we decided, inspired by bands like Kiss and uh, Emerson, Lake, and Palmer that would, uh, uh, super groups that would uh, split off and make their own solo albums where each uh, member of the band had their own solo album. We decided uh, to each uh, do our own solo podcast. Now, don't panic. Gary and Tom are not, we're not having a rift. We're not breaking up. I know what you're fearing. You're fearing, oh no, Gary's going to go solo or Tom's going to go solo. Not true. Not true. This is just a fun experiment uh, that that Gary and Tom are going to do uh, their own uh, solo podcast. And and the uh, the gambit here is to uh, to see who has the best solo podcast. So Tom and Gary, uh, we've always competed our whole life over various things. We've competed at a at a game we played on a production set called De- Desert Naval Trunk Ball, where we had to uh, throw a football <laughs> into the moving open trunk of a rental car on a film set, and whoever succeeded at that had to stick their tongue in the other person's navel. Um, so we've, we, you know, we had a competition there. We once had a, a hot or not competition in the early days of the internet, where you would post your picture and people would vote on who was hotter. So we. We make everything a competition, and so this is a competition uh, to see who has the best podcast episode, and 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 there will be a judging mechanism to be uh, revealed later. So, 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 it's because this is a a gambit um, to win the podcast game and to to topple Tom Karamitis and for Gary Doyle to be named the best uh, solo podcast uh, for so there. Um, uh, I've decided that, uh, that my theme, my theme for this, uh, was going to be, uh, celebrity encounters that Gary Doyle has had celebrity encounters. Now I'm not doing this to, uh, so our listeners can go, whoa, you've met so-and-so not, not, that's not it at all. I, 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 uh, uh, I'm doing this simply to win the game, win the award as the most uh, favored solo podcast between Gary Doyle's and Tom Karamitis's. Um, you know, it's kind of like when um, when when Kiss did there, uh, when Kiss was a huge band and each of the four members made their old solo record. And Ace Fraley, the guitarist of of Kiss, who would who would go by uh, the the nickname the Spaceman, so. Ace Fraley was the spaceman of the four, the eye makeup 
like a spaceman. Ace Frehley went solo, and Ace Frehley had the biggest hit of all four of the KISS members' solo records back in the New York groove. Top 20 hit. The only KISS member to have a top 20 hit. He was the most popular of the four solo records. So that's what Kerry Doyle aims to do here, is to be more popular than Tom Karamitis's, uh solo effort. So I decided to talk about uh, my celebrity encounters that I've had in my life. My theory being that people enjoy celebrity stories. Uh, and so uh, this is my gambit to perhaps to perhaps engage you in my in the celebrity encounters that I've had uh, in my life and uh, and 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 win and win the solo uh, podcast episode uh, game. And again, I'm not doing this to draw attention to myself. I've never posted about these on these celebrity encounters on Facebook. You know, my my friends and family probably don't even know about most of them. Uh, but I'm using this episode to tell you about my celebrity encounters. All right. Uh, uh, so they're all true. And in the course of things, maybe you'll learn a little something about Gary Doyle. And by the way, only on the So There podcast do we refer to ourselves in the first person, uh, myself and Tom. We don't go through life doing that, only on the uh, So There podcast. So uh, I want to break um, these celebrity encounters out uh, into good celebrity encounters that I've had, bad celebrity encounters that I've had, and then a chronological tour of my celebrity encounters through my life. And when I say encounters, I mean encounters. I'm not talking about sightings, okay? Everyone's had celebrity and sighting, and, you know, sightings. I've seen Madonna in a restaurant and, you know, in, in, in LA and all that. That's great. But no, these are celebrities that I've actually met, spoken to, and had quality interactions with, uh, with a couple of exceptions, but I'm telling those stories because they're good stories. All right, so let's talk about the good ones first. When I was um, uh, back in in 2000 and uh, what was it, uh, 2008, uh, I got a, I got a call from a friend of mine, a friend of a friend, and uh, the friend of a friend was looking for writers in Chicago, copywriters who could work for a little known presidential candidate named Barack Obama. So I knew a little bit about Barack Obama. He was a U.S. senator from Illinois, and, and I liked him. I liked his, uh, his, uh, his uh, Democratic National Convention speech in 2004. And so I'm like, sure, I'll, I'll work for Barack Obama. So uh, it was early in the Iowa caucuses, and Barack Obama was pretty much a nobody, but I agreed to work for his campaign. And they said, we need, we need taglines. Um, we need taglines and we need TV commercials. So in the Iowa caucuses, I, uh, I I wrote I wrote a bunch of scripts. Uh, I wrote a whole bunch of taglines, um, a couple of which were "Yes, we can" and um, "A politician we can believe in," which they changed to "Change we can believe in." But it was a it was a great experience, and uh, and 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 a little later on, so we ended up winning the Iowa caucuses, and um, and actually after that, it was ironically his campaign said, you know what, um, now that he's blown up, we really need to close ranks around this campaign. We just can't have random people working on it. So they ended up going to a professional 
uh, Washington, D.C. Uh, ad firm that specialized in, uh, in political marketing. So I didn't work on the campaign after the Iowa caucuses, but he won. His campaign blew up, and a little bit later on that summer, I got a chance to meet him. So there, an email went out, and it was like, uh, there's a very small gathering at a art gallery in Chicago. This was a uh, month or two before the Democratic National Convention. And uh, and it's a very small gathering for donors and uh, people that have worked on his campaign. So I went to a, a gallery in River North, about probably two or 300 people there. Uh, got to meet Barack Obama. I stood about... Ten, five feet from him when he got literally got up on a soapbox box and gave a speech to this small group. Uh, afterwards, he was kind of working the rope line. I uh, he made his way down to me and I, you know, explained what I did and I, you know, uh, and I and I said, I, you know, how you holding up with the with the primaries and all that? And and he goes, I'm doing good, man. He said, How are you holding up? <laughs> Which I thought was very cool. Um, so that's one of my good celebrity encounters. Another one was I was uh, in 2004. I took my family to see the um, Vote for Change concert tour with Bruce Springsteen, REM, uh, uh, and a couple other acts. And uh, this was when John Kerry was running against uh, George Bush. So uh, we drove to the concert, my family and I, because uh, we all loved Bruce Springsteen, still do. And so we were pulling up to the hotel we were staying in. And outside of the hotel was a crowd, a small crowd on the sidewalk gathered around Nils Lofgren, who I recognized as Bruce Springsteen's guitarist. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I wonder if Bruce Springsteen is uh, staying at this hotel where we're staying at, which was the Ritz-Carlton in, in uh, downtown Cleveland. Now, lest you think that I'm a hotel fairy who only stays at the nicest hotels, that was the only hotel that was available in Cleveland. So we stayed at the Ritz-Carlton to get out of the car. And I asked a guy standing around, um, you know, do you know if Bruce Springsteen is staying here at the hotel? And this guy says, yeah, I'm his driver. So he goes on to tell me that Bruce Springsteen would be coming down with the band in about an hour. And so uh, being a guest of the hotel, I checked in. Uh, me and my family, my kids are about five or six years old, five or six years old at the time. We camped out in the lobby, just waiting for the band, right? So we're hanging out there. And, uh, and, and eventually they all came out. Clarence Clemens came out of the elevator. We met him, uh, Steve Van Zant, uh, Max Weinberg, the drummer. We met all of them. And then, um, and then, uh, you know, about a, half, a few minutes later, the, uh, the, the hotel uh, personnel came up to us and said, you know, you got to clear the lobby here because, uh, you know, you just got to clear the lobby. And, and we knew why, but we went outside of the hotel entrance, right outside of the hotel entrance. Uh, there was a big crowd across the street, but because we were guests of the hotel, we got to stand at, at the hotel entrance at least. And finally out walks Bruce Springsteen. And Bruce walks out, the crowd across the street goes nuts. Um, and I'm standing about 10 feet away. And, and, I, uh, and I did the classic, Bruce. Now he looks over. Looks over at my kids, my five to seven-year-old kids are all wearing Bruce Springsteen shirts. Um, and he goes, come on over here. And, and, you know, we kind of froze like, what? And he goes, get over here. You know, waves us over. So we come over, you know, he's with uh, his, you know, handlers and stuff. And, and, and we proceeded to have the nicest chat with him. Could not have been nicer. Signed autographs, uh, you know, talked a little bit for a few minutes about, about uh, you know, about the tour 
And, and at the end, he's signing for us. We're taking pictures. And we ran out of paper. And my son, Tucker, was the last person who didn't get an autograph. And I'm like, ah, it's, it's okay. We've taken up enough of your time. And he goes, no, no, no. No, no. Hold on. And so he, he, he says, he gets a piece of paper from somewhere. Signs for Tucker. Says, you know, something to Tucker. Writes a you know, piece of paper and says, hey, guys, I'll see you later. And, and it was just so cool. I mean, he was cool, but the fact that he was like, no, no, I want you guys all to get an autograph. Um, and he signed for Tucker, and that was awesome. I also once once shared a, uh, I was once seatmates with Yo-Yo Ma's cello. I can explain. Yo-Yo Ma was sitting in, again, this was when agencies used to fly people first class. I, I was sitting in first class, um, and Yo-Yo Ma, uh, the cellist, got on next to me. Uh, I'm sorry, he got on across the aisle from me and uh, and and the flight attendants placed his cello in the seat next to me. Uh, so I shared, I was a seatmate with Yo-Yo Ma's cello. I guess he didn't want to put it in baggage claim for obvious reasons. It's a, a priceless cello, but uh, you know he couldn't put it in the overhead. So I guess whenever he travels, he... Uh, he um, he he buys a, a ticket for his cello, and so I sat next to Yo-Yo Ma's cello, uh, you know, at at at, at the end of the, uh, at, for the for the three-hour flight back from L.A. to Chicago, and uh, uh, you know, at the at the at the end of the flight, I chatted a little bit with Yo-Yo Ma, and, I, and he he asked how it was, and I go, well, you know, the cello talked my ear off, but other than that, you know, he was fine, and. Yo-Yo Ma got a laugh out of that. My finally, my final good celebrity encounter story uh, is when I was staying at the Four Seasons Hotel, and I used to stay there a lot back when I worked for Leo Burnett, back when agencies had money to put people up at the Four Seasons, places like the Four Seasons Beverly Hills. They don't anymore. But I was staying at the Four Seasons Beverly Hills, and uh, and I brought my my wife and my at the time my two year old daughter Maddie came out um, to visit me. And so we went by the pool one day and we're hanging out and Maddie's kind of splashing around in the water and Lisa's over in one of the chaise lounges over there and Sigourney Weaver walks up. And this was Sigourney Weaver at the height of her like Ghostbusters fame. And Sigourney Weaver walks up with her two-year-old girl who was also named Madeline, ironically enough. So Sigourney Weaver, so her daughter gets in the pool and Sigourney Weaver starts uh, sitting down and chatting with me. And I didn't let on that I knew she was Sigourney Weaver. I was just playing it, trying to play it cool. But, you know, we're just talking. You know, she's like, do you mind if, do you mind if you know, my daughter plays your daughter? I'm like, sure. So they're splashing around in the pool. And we're talking about, you know, I'm like, so she's like, what do you do? And I go, oh, I work in advertising. I'm like, what do you do? And she goes, oh, I'm an actress. You know, and we're like hanging out and talking, just chatting about parenthood and living in L.A. and what it's like to raise a kid in L.A. for her. And just like normal people. And, and, and at some point, I looked over at Lisa, just glanced over at her, and she's about 20 feet away in the chair, and she she makes this expression and mouths, oh, my God. <laughs> like she knew what was going on. So for about 20 minutes, I was just hanging out and talking to Sigourney Weaver, and it was pretty cool. She was cool, and and she was gorgeous. I also shared a first-class seat with uh, next to Mike Ditka 
few years ago. So Mike Ditka, coach of the Bears, long retired, but I was uh, he was in he was on the aisle seat, and I was in uh, and I was next to him in the window seat, and uh, I tried to make a little conversation, but he wasn't having any of it. I'd say, uh, you know, coach, uh, you know, it's great to meet you. And he's like, ah, yeah, well, and uh, you know, the 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 crazy thing about Ditka was. Uh, you know, we were in first class and, and all the passengers who passed him on the way back to coach, practically every single one said something to him. It's like, hey, coach, how you doing, coach? Looking great, coach. Good to see you, coach. You know, great job, coach. Wish you were back, coach. It's one after another. And I'm thinking this is how this guy goes through his life, you know, every day. And I said that to him. It's like, uh, you know, it must be incredible to get this from people every day and he goes ah ah you know i uh, only won one super bowl no that's no big deal all right so those are the good celebrity encounters now i want to tell you about a couple of a few bad ones so uh uh in my 20s uh some friends and i decided to go see a world wrestling federation match at uic pavilion i don't know why we just went to see wrestlers and i don't know if anybody knows uh, rick flair rick flair is a legendary wrestler and so uh, Rick, uh, Rick Flair was wrestling that night. And, uh, and as he entered the ring, we decided, you know, there's like a little tunnel of people that they go between to get to the ring, like tunnel of fans. And I was in this tunnel of fans and I was right at the edge of this, uh, you know, of the group. And he's walking between all these people. And somebody from behind me shoved me, probably by accident, into right in front of Ric Flair as he was... Uh, as he was walking, and, and I and I and I suddenly came face to face with Ric Flair, and I thought for a moment, and I truly thought this might happen that he or his handlers would would beat me to a pulp because I think they thought that I was attacking Ric Flair, um, but uh, but he didn't. But still, not a good uh, celebrity encounter with the legendary wrestler. Uh, Rick Flair. Another unfortunate encounter encounter I had was I was shooting a Porsche uh, documentary at a fancy car meet meetup in Pebble Beach, California, called the Concours de Elegance, and it's a place where people come and sell and uh, look at beautiful old cars. And I went to a car auction um, that, uh, one of those days that I was there at Pebble Beach, and Reggie Jackson, the uh, the New York Yankees slugger, ex-slugger, was uh, auctioning off um, a bunch of his muscle cars, like uh, you know, late '60s, early '70s GTOs, Plymouth Dusters, priceless cars. So he's auctioning off. He had a huge collection of cars, and he's auctioning off these cars. So I decided to go to the auction, and I'm watching the auction. And Reggie Jackson is standing off by the side of the stage, and I rarely approach celebrity. I hardly ever approach celebrities, but as I was leaving to go back to my hotel room, I, I walked by Reggie Jackson and he was standing with a couple of his flunkies or whatever. And I, and I decided to go up to him and I said, excuse me, Mr. Jackson. And he didn't say anything to me. He just looked at me. And, uh, and I said, I, I, I just wanted to say that I, uh, you know, I, as a kid, I watched you growing up. Um, you know, I enjoyed your, 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 your performances. Uh, you inspired me, gave me a lot of great moments in my life. And for that, I wanted to thank you. And I extended my hand and Rich, Reggie Jackson kind of looked at my hand like it was nuclear waste and kind of very slowly extended his hand and gave me the limpest, weakest handshake I've ever had. It was like he could not bear to touch me. 
And I have never been so disrespected, not only by a celebrity, but, but by a person. By Reggie Jackson. So Reggie Jackson, not a good person. Finally, my last uh, bad celebrity encounter was I was... I was staying at the Wynn Hotel. I go to Las Vegas a lot. I like to gamble. So I was at the Wynn Hotel uh, with friends, I don't know, maybe 10 or 15 years ago. And I, and I, uh, and I went to the restroom. And so I passed by a, one of his nightclubs, one of the Wynn nightclubs. And it was, you know, bumping on a Saturday night. And standing outside the club, you know, kind of observing the club and the line outside the club was Steve Wynn. And I recognize Steve Wynn. And again, I rarely approach celebrities, almost never. Uh, you know, I just have encounters with them. But I decided to approach Steve Wynn. Maybe I'd, I'd had a, you know, a couple of drinks. So I, again, like Reggie Jackson, I said, uh, you know, excuse me, Mr. Wynn. And he looked at me. Again, didn't say anything, which I, I should know by now is a bad sign. But I, uh, uh, you know, and again, he was standing with a couple flunkies. And I said, uh, you know, uh, I, I just wanted to say, I've, you know, I've stayed in your hotels you know, again, very sincere, like Reggie Jackson. I said, I've, you know, stayed in your hotels, you know, over the years for many years, which I have, Bellagio, the Wynn, Palazzo. Um, and I said, you know, I've always, you know, I've, I've always had wonderful stays at your hotel. You know, I admire what you've done. I admire your role in building Las Vegas. I admire uh, your attention to detail in your properties. And I just wanted to say thank you for the experiences. Um, and I didn't extend my hand to uh, shake it like I did Reggie Jackson because Steve Wind is partially blind, so I feared he couldn't see that. So I, you know, gave this big spiel, and Steve Wind kind of, kind of looks at me and just goes, "Yeah." And that's all he said after my, 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 uh, my fawning introduction. He just looked at me and he said, "Yeah." <laughs> So not a good celebrity encounter um, with Steve Wynn. So uh, so those are some good ones and some bad ones. And now uh, I'd like to give you um, a chronological tour of my celebrity encounters through my life. Um, you know, some very quickly, some I'll tell a little quick story. So uh, when I was about 10 years old, I met Rosalind Carter, who was uh, Jimmy Carter's President Jimmy Carter's wife. Um, in college, I met Gordon Gano of the Violent Femmes. Um, I worked as an entertainment reporter and I uh, at the student paper in Indiana, and I went to review a Violent Femmes concert at a little bar in Bloomington, Indiana, and, and Gordon Gano performed in a bathrobe and later came out to the show and we had a good chat. Um, also covering... Uh, uh, covering a show for that tour, I met Gary U.S. Bonds, who wrote Quarter to Three. Um, maybe some of you don't know him, but a uh, legendary soul singer. Um, had a near celebrity encounter with um, REM. So this is a this is a a, a, a near miss for Gary Doyle. And uh, never never met them, but I want to tell this story. So I re I, uh, I went to review REM, a, a promoter. They were just starting out, and a promoter said, "Hey, you got to come see this band." Promoter was always, you know, promoter was always trying to get me to write about their bands. And I'm like, "They're called REM, and they're from Athens, Georgia, and they're, they're great. I'd really like you to check them out." So, uh, went to a a little bar in um, Bloomington, Indiana. There are about twenty people there to see REM, and um, and they were okay. You know, I I think I ended up panning them in the 
in the school paper the next day, which tells you my judgment. But, you know, they were they were okay, not great. They kind of, Michael Stipe had like a little red light bulb above his head. That was the extent of their lighting setup. I thought it was all highly pretentious. So, uh, but the near miss comes were after the uh, show. It was about two in the morning. And after the show, the promoter, who was a friend of mine too, came up to me and said, hey, um, you know, the band's going to go out for breakfast, REM. They're going to go out for breakfast. Uh, you want to come and uh, come to breakfast with us? And I thought about it and I said, nah, I don't think so. I'm kind of tired. So I, uh, that was my opportunity to have breakfast with REM, which I uh, turned down. Um, so moving on, in my early 20s, when I lived in Akron, Ohio, I played saxophone for a short time in a comedy act called Those generics. And for one of the gigs, we opened up for Sam Kinison, late great comedian who used to, used to scream a lot. And I met Sam Kinison backstage, delightful guy. Um, and then I got a job at Leo Burdett, where, as I said, we used to go to LA and shoot commercials all the time. And as I said, we'd stay in the Four Seasons Beverly Hills uh, a lot of times. And that was Celebrity Central. And there I met and talked to Morgan Freeman, uh, Mel Brooks, David Duchovny, talked about Sigourney Weaver. Um, I was checking into the hotel one day, and this was pre-voicemail. All right, so pre-voicemail even, let alone pre-internet. And uh, and the Four Seasons used to have little pink uh, slips on the front desk that would be messages for guests. I don't know why they put these pink slips on the uh, on the, uh, on the front desk, but they would be. And so I'm checking in one day and I see um, a message for a room like 714, 714, and the name on the uh, on the little pink uh, slip was Lindsey Buckingham, the guitarist and songwriter for Fleetwood Mac. And Lindsey Buckingham has always been one of my musical heroes. So I'm like, well, I, I'm going to call Lindsey Buckingham. So I went back to my room, checked in, went to my room, you know, and called Lindsey Buckingham. So I call him, dial the number, and sure enough, Lindsey Buckingham picks up. I remembered I re he had a very distinctive voice, and here's how he answered the phone. He said, yeah, hello. And I panicked, froze, and hung up the phone. I was overwhelmed by talking to Lindsey Buckingham, and I just kind of panicked and slammed the phone down. So it was a very distinctive, yeah, hello. But it was definitely Lindsey Buckingham. So that was my Lindsey Buckingham uh, encounter. Um, at Leo Burnett, I shot uh, a lot of commercials with celebrities. I shot a commercial with Ken Griffey Jr., uh, Tony Hawk, the skateboarder Tony Hawk, who was a stand-in for Tony the Tiger. They actually, Tony Hawk did the skateboard maneuvers, and they painted in Tony, Tony the Tiger over Tony Hawk. They animated him, so Tony the Tiger was doing skateboard maneuvers, and Tony Hawk wore an orange jumpsuit to match uh, Tony the Tiger. Um, shot a commercial with Terry Labonte, which actually was co-written by my So There co-host, Tom Karamidas. Uh, met, of course, Terry Labonte and Dale Earnhardt. Dale Earnhardt, the Intimidator, um, stock car driver. Uh, actually, the weekend that he died, we met him a couple days before at the uh, Daytona Raceway, met the Intimidator, died a couple days later in a crash. Shot a commercial with Colin Powell. Colin Powell and, and uh, 
My memory of that is I asked Colin Powell, uh, you know, his his fundraising method, and he and he had a great because uh, he was he had a charity called America's Promise, which would he'd go around to CEOs and and uh, and try and uh, you know get money out of their companies. And I talked and I asked him, how do you go about doing that? And uh, and the phrase he used, I never forgot it was, you know, I, well I um you know I I drop in, you know, introduce myself. They usually know who I am, and then I uh, you know I put the touch on them. I always remember that phrase. I, I put the touch on him for money. Colin Powell, very sweet guy. Daniel Stern from Home Alone was a voiceover in some Seven Up commercials I did. Uh, I auditioned. Um, I worked for uh, for a time on a campaign for Kellogg's Corn Pops. It had a lot of child actors in it, and it required some pretty serious acting chops. This particular campaign, and I auditioned a lot of um, child actors who ended up being big stars. Uh, Toby Maguire, Spider-Man was actually in a commercial. We did um, uh, another person I auditioned was 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 Hillary Swank. So Hillary Swank comes in and audition. She was like twelve years old. I thought she was very good. Uh, I tried to sell my creative director on her uh, to be in the commercial. I and he goes, nah, I don't think she's very good. So I auditioned Hillary Swank. wasn't in the commercial, but Gary Doyle, of course, was uh, right about her. Um, was working on Fruitopia, a long-lost Coca-Cola brand, and we did a demo uh, for a music track for Coca-Cola, and we decided, Tom Kermitis, who was producing the commercial, uh, Tom Kermitis is a big fan of Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, and we got the idea in our head. We needed a 60s-themed track for the commercial, and we got the idea in our head, I don't know if it was me or him, but to use Keith Emerson of Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. Tom Karamidas had a personal connection with Keith Emerson, the keyboardist, legendary keyboardist in Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. So long story short, Keith Emerson did a demo for us. We didn't end up using it in the commercial. But we did end up partying with Keith Emerson in the founder's room of the uh, House of Blues concert venue in, um, in Hollywood. Uh, went to the Founders Room. Eddie Money was playing that night, and we watched Eddie Money from the Founders Room. And I remember going to this party, this very private party with you know Keith Emerson and other music industry people, and just being so scared they were going to make me do cocaine. I have never done cocaine, and I was worried they'd make me do it, but they didn't. Thank goodness. But I partied with uh, Keith Emerson of Emerson Lake and Palmer. Um. You know, at Leo Burnett and at uh, CK, where I work now, shot with shot with many celebrity cinematographers. I shot commercials with Roger Deakins, who uh, who shoots all the Coen Brothers movies, including No Country for Old Men. I've shot with Robert Richardson, who shot many of Quentin Tarantino's films, including Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Mun Powell, who shot Napoleon Dynamite. Jeff Cronenweth, who shot The Social Network, among many other David Fincher movies. Paul Cameron. Cinematographer, cinematographer for Total Recall, Pirates of the Caribbean, and many other, many other movies. So not 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 celebrities per se, but legendary cinematographers. Gary Doyle has shot with and met and worked with. I met U.S. Senator Dick Durbin at a Lou Mitchell's coffee shop in downtown Chicago, waiting for a train to arrive at Union Station, and I had some time to kill, so I went to Lou Mitchell's, and there was there was Dick Durbin. And being a the hardcore Democrat I am, I said, Dick, keep giving those Republicans hell. And he kind of held up his coffee cup as if to say cheers. Um, met John Cusack, 
outside the door of the Green Door Tavern in Chicago when he was filming Eight Men Out. Had a nice conversation with John Cusack. Uh, Jerry Seinfeld for Porsche. We were filming a Porsche documentary, um, uh, and Jerry Seinfeld is a noted Porsche collector, so I interviewed Jerry Seinfeld for the documentary and met him. Um, uh, don't know if any of you are familiar with the band uh, N- uh, New Pornographers, one of my favorite bands, but I, I, uh, I, I got hooked up with them to uh, meet them backstage through my job because I'd used their music in a commercial. So I got to meet them backstage, um, A.C. Newman, uh, songwriter and singer for the New Pornographers, and Nico Case. Nico Case, the singer in the New Pornographers, who I was, I chatted for a long time with A.C. Newman. Uh, Nico Case walked in at some point, and, and A.C. said, and he also goes by Carl. Carl said, uh, uh, and this is Nico. Nico, this is Gary. And Nico was kind of bending over to... Uh, to get something out of a guitar case. He goes, hi, and she goes, hi, I'm Nico, and this is my ass. So that was my encounter with Nico Case, singer I'm a big fan of. Um, I, I met and had an extensive conversation with Frank Thomas, Baseball Hall of Famer Frank Thomas at the World Series in 2016, the one the Cubs won. I got a ticket to a game in Cleveland um, through one of my clients, ended up sitting in the MLB box, um, and met Frank Thomas before the game. And this was game two of the World Series. And I said to Frank Thomas in our conversation, I said, who do you think is going to win this series? And Frank Thomas said, the first visiting team to win, right, will win this series. That was his, his note. And sure enough, the Cubs won that game, game two in Cleveland, and, uh, and went on to win the World Series. Frank Thomas was, was right. Um, I met Ryan Sandberg. He lives in... Uh, Cubs great Ryan Sandberg lives in Lake Bluff, so I met him at a Little League game in Lake Bluff a couple, a couple of years ago. Uh, Benmont Tench, who many of you may not know, but Benmont Tench is the longtime keyboardist of Tom Petty, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. And I'm a Tom Petty fan, so I know Benmont Tench, but I was, Tench is, but I was having dinner at a sushi place in L.A. with a friend of mine, and my friend saw Benmont Tench at the restaurant, and he's a He's a friend of Ben Montenegro. He says, hey, I'll introduce you. And so I met him. He was having a dinner with a date, chatted a little bit. Again, I didn't let on. I knew who he was. I just said, uh, hey, you know, Ben, how you doing? He goes, good. How are you? And we talked about it. And, and I said, so what, what do you do? And he goes, oh, I'm a musician. I play keyboards in a band, which I thought was so cool. He didn't say I played keyboard in Tom Petty's band. He said, I play keyboards in a band which I thought was amazing. Uh, Last year, I shot with Blake Griffin of the Detroit Pistons for one of my my, uh, commercials. Um, So that's my tour. That's my my tour of of Gary Doyle's celebrity encounters throughout his life. I'm probably forgetting a few. And again, I don't talk about these to bring attention to myself or, or to sound impressive. I'm just trying to take down Tom Karamidas, and I figure that... You know, celebrity encounters are something that everybody enjoys uh, 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 listening to. Um, so I, uh, I hope you've enjoyed this. And I want to end on one final story. Um, I didn't meet this person, but I did influence history um, in some ways. So back in the mid-90s, again, I was staying at the Four Seasons, Beverly Hills. And again, they had this odd practice of leaving... Um, messages on pink slips for guests when they got calls. 
I guess they didn't have voicemail in the rooms. But uh, so again, I was checking in and I see a message on the front desk for Hugh Grant from Elizabeth. And at the time, Hugh Grant was very publicly and famously dating Elizabeth Hurley, the model. And of course, I stole the message. I don't know why. I just took the message. I wanted to, uh, I wanted to uh, have it as a keepsake. But, um, uh, but what happened that night is Hugh Grant, if you recall, um, got embroiled in quite a scandal. And that night was the night that Hugh Grant went to Sunset Boulevard, uh, picked up a hooker named Tiffany. I want to say her name is Tiffany Brown, but I'm not sure. But she was a hooker, picked her up, and got caught by the tabloids doing that. And I think what he was engaged to, Elizabeth Hurley. And it was a big thing. It was a huge story for a couple weeks. You know, Hugh Grant, one of the biggest stars in the world, was, you know, seen with this hooker. And there was a mugshot of him. And he was arrested and, and all this stuff. And, and, uh, and that was the night after I stole his message from Elizabeth Hurley. And so my theory is, I think what probably happened is Elizabeth Hurley called Hugh Grant. He didn't get the message, you know. He didn't call her back. You know, maybe they got in a fight because he didn't call her back because of me. So, you know, maybe got in a fight. Maybe decides, hey, I'm going to go to Sunset Boulevard and, you know, and pick up a hoe. You know. And the rest is history. And Gary Doyle was right in the middle of that. Of Hugh Grant almost having his career ended because I stole a message from the front desk of the uh, Four Seasons. Actually, as I was telling this, I wanted to think of, I, I thought of one more celebrity encounter that I had. And uh, again, I, I, I uh, you know, if you've listened this far, thank you. Uh, but, but this is a, a good story that I've told many times. Uh, but I'll leave you with this. I was um, working on uh, uh, True Value Hardware, the hardware store chain at uh, Leo Burnett and we went to the hardware convention this was back in the 90s maybe late 90s went to the hardware convention in Texas I think and uh, and uh, and and this big national convention for these hardware retailers and Florence Henderson of the Brady Bunch the mom and the Brady Bunch was the guest of honor at the convention so we went to the convention and you know we're touring the various booths and 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 there's Florence Henderson's booth and she's you know signing autographs and handing out headshots I'm like well I want to meet Florence Henderson you know because I was a big Brady Bunch fan at the time or when I was growing up so you know go over you know introduce myself to Florence Henderson you know she's very nice you know very friendly she looks like the mom from the Brady Bunch she looks like she looks like uh you know Mrs. Brady but anyway, I meet Florence Henderson, and I'm chatting with her, and, you know, we're having a nice chat. And at the time, um, for those of you who remember, Greg Brady, right, her son on the show, Greg Brady, had come out with a book, a biography, autobiography. And in the book, Greg Brady alleged that he had an affair with Florence Henderson, his mom on the show. I don't know if you remember this, but it was a big thing. Right, it was in the news, and that's about when I met Florence Henderson. So we're talking, and um, you know, I'm chatting, and I very stupidly, you know, I thought we had a good camaraderie, and we're you know, kind of bantering, and I thought, 
you know, I thought I'd mention the Greg Brady thing. So I very stupidly said, so, you know, what's the deal with Greg Brady? You know, did that, did that really happen? And her mood instantly changed. And she automatically, completely, you know, turned and said, I cannot believe you are asking me that question. That is unbelievably disrespectful. And I said, oh, I, I'm sorry. I, you're right. I'm so sorry. It was just, you know, I was just curious. It's been in the news and I really apologize. And so I was backtracking and apologizing for my stupidity for asking that question. If she had an affair with Greg Brady, but then to make it even stupider, um, you know, I tried to recover from that. And then I said, Hey, you know, uh, I, I apologize. And I, and I, I just, you know, could, could I have, could I have an autograph? You know, could you sign one of your headshots? You know, I'm, like I said, I'm a big fan. I grew up watching the Brady Bunch, and I'd sure appreciate that. And again, I'm sorry for asking you if you had an affair with Greg Brady. And she goes, okay. And um, and she said, what do you want it to say? And uh, and I said, why don't why don't you? Uh, there was a, there was a campaign, an ad campaign she was in when I was a kid, where uh, where uh, she would say it was about Wessonality, Wesson the cooking out uh, the cooking oil. Um, it was about you've got Wessonality. Uh, I guess a riff on You've Got Personality. But it was a big campaign, ad campaign on television when I was a kid. And so I said, why don't you sign it um, to Gary, You've Got Wessonality, Florence Henderson. She goes, okay. And so she signs it, back, signs it, hands it back to me. And the headshot says, to Gary, You've Got Wessonality and not much else. Florence Henderson. Perhaps I should have included that in the bad celebrity encounter section, but that was my celebrity encounter with Florence Henderson. You've got Westonality and not much else. And I tragically left that headshot in my hotel room by accident when I checked out in, in Dallas, and I don't have it to this day, but obviously it would be a treasured memory. So that is the celebrity tour of Gary Doyle's life, celebrity encounters that Gary Doyle has had. So thank you for listening uh, uh, and, uh, and vote for Gary Doyle to have the best So There podcast. So uh, on behalf of Tom Karamitis, uh, I'll leave you with So There. <laughs>